0: Good afternoon and welcome to building identity governance into your post-COVID security strategy, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Improvada. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the editor-in-chief of Health Systems CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box. We'll take those later in the program, and we'll have a one-question poll we do later uh, if we have time to get some of your input. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35 minutes or so with our panel featuring Slayton Austria, CTO at UW Medicine. Ben Smith, VP and CISO with Nuvance Health, and Wes Wright, CTO with Improvada. and then we will have our Q&A. So let's, a uh, nice way to view the screen today. You can click on the top center, get it in side-by-side mode. You can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes the size you want, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. So let's jump right in. We have an interesting topic to discuss, um, so let's get going. Slayton, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your
1: organization and your role? Absolutely. And uh, good morning to uh, those of you, although it may not be morning to everybody. Uh, my name is Slayton Austria. I'm the uh, CTO at UW Medicine out here in uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, I've now been here almost two and a half years, which is kind of a weird feeling to say that as well. But um, yeah, UW Medicine is academic university health system. Uh, uh, trauma tertiary level one um, health system here in the Pacific Northwest. We have uh, three primary hospitals that are, uh, operate under unit medicine. We have an affiliate hospital as well. So four hospitals total with a significant number of clinics that coincide with uh, the service into those hospitals. Um, all in about 25, 26,000 um, uh, staff throughout the health system. Our uh, IT operations—we have just under 600 um, ITS folks supporting all of, of uh, uh, UW Medicine Health System. We are a um, uh, brand new into the Epic inpatient side, so we literally just went live uh, March 26. On the inpatient side, but we've been an Epic customer for quite a big, uh, quite a long time. We actually went live with the ambulatory side all the way back in 1998. And so I've been a customer, but uh, transitioned from Cerner to, to Epic. Um, and uh, we are now all in with uh, just about all the Epic modules uh, throughout the organization. We did a big bang cutover to three hospitals in one night to go live within within Epic. In the midst of, uh, and I'm sure we'll have some conversation about is we did all of this pretty much remotely. Um, One of the first organizations that really kind of uh, didn't kick the uh, can down the road. Um, We had to go and get this done. And so we literally went live in the midst of everything COVID. So uh, we had to really rethink our strategy and our implementation all the remote folks coming in. So we talked about from a security perspective and what we were trying to manage through, you know, you think through that the traditional onslaught of, of uh, Epic um, consultants and everything else that would be on site doing at the elbow to what we ended up having to do remotely with all of the um, service lines that help us get through some of that as well. So we like said uh, UW medicine is a whole very large health system, um, large operations and and one of the uh premier uh, health systems here in pacific northwest
2: very good thank you ben hi folks um i serve as the chief information security officer as well as uh the vice president of what is it today um innovation digital and development uh delivery for the for the health system um The New Vance is a seven hospital, roughly 250 clinic uh, health system that's uh, spread across the New York and Connecticut regions, kind of serving the the northern New York City suburbs. Um, We're actually a relatively young organization. We were formed out of a merger in early 2019, and I I actually joined uh, about three months uh, post merger just in time for COVID, so um, got to to move across country, actually uh, got to meet both uh, Slantin and West while I was out in uh, uh, the Pacific Northwest serving as the CISO for, for multicare health system. Um, my role here at the organization, um, you know, the, the VP title kind of is uh, self-explanatory on the CISO side. Um, I own all parts of, of information security from, from governance to security ops, um, SOC, that sort of thing, as well as identity access management. Uh, And since joining the organization, we've gone live with uh, an IDG solution um, and, you know, we've hit all the pitfalls. We've hit all the successes and actually went uh, went hard live in in early May. Um, uh, We we can have a long conversation about uh, order of operations uh, when it comes to delivering a solution like that, uh, along with a whole bunch of other integration work that's going on due to a merger. So uh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation.
3: All right. Very good. Wes? Uh, uh, Echo Slayton's good morning and good afternoon to everybody else. Uh, thanks for having us again, uh, Anthony. Uh, my name is Wes Wright. I am the chief technology officer uh, out at Imprivata. Uh It's been a quick three years uh, that I've been at Imprivata. Uh Prior to that, though, I had about 25 years of uh, various CIO, CTO, and when I couldn't avoid it, CISO roles. Uh, and on the health delivery side, uh, of the organization, this is my first, uh, venture onto the vendor side. And, uh, I tell you, I couldn't have done it, uh, with a better company than, uh, Improvada. Uh, uh, I, I just love the way they, they, they take workflow first and, and then put the technology in place. So really looking forward to today's uh, discussion, Anthony, around, uh, identity governance and, and Ben. Yeah, please. Uh, Share some of the the successes and the pitfalls and watch out for this kind of stuff that you've encountered uh, when you stood up uh, uh, whatever system you're using out there.
0: All right. Very good. Let's jump into our first question. Ben, we're going to start with you. Let's set the stage for our discussion. What are the challenges around managing identity governance with a manual or homegrown solution? What are the security vulnerabilities and how did COVID exacerbate these challenges?
2: Um. So, no, thank you for starting with a three-part question. Because <laughs> time, why, why would we? Why would we start with with an easy with, with an easy right, question?
3: Right, right, right.
2: No T balls here. Um, it, you know. It, identity governance at an organization, the size of new Vance. And, you know, it, it I, I, even organizations significantly smaller than new Vance um, is a mess at best, uh, especially when you're trying to manage it, um, you, you know, using your, your native Microsoft tool sets um, or it, it, God forbid spreadsheets. Um, you know, I, I think our, you know, in, in general um, you know, the the security vulnerabilities come from the 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 things that you miss, the things you can't keep track of, um, you know the the bifurcation of access deployment um, and delivery to users across your your entity, um, you know users being able to create their own access permissions and and you know setting things up to quote unquote make the the business run easier. Um, you know all of these things come together to you know really open up the door to what is quite honestly the 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 biggest vulnerability your organization has which is your people um so you know you accidentally end up with you know uh, a general user that has admin rights that doesn't have two-factor authentication and is is running around or heck even does have two-factor authentication these days um and is you know running around reusing their password all over the place you know that it all of a sudden, you end up with a, uh, an attack that, that is significantly easier to execute against your organization. Um, you know, COVID, uh, you know, COVID in of itself, I don't necessarily think exacerbated the issues. I think the idea of working from home and working remotely or, quote unquote, working from anywhere um, has, is is probably the the better way of of looking at it. Um, And in, I mean, I guess yes, COVID is probably the underlying cause for some of that, but, you know, it could, that, that whole situation, just, you know, the, the, the move to uh, remote work, as well as quite honestly, the acceleration of adoption of new technology um, has, uh, you know, created uh, multiple other vectors, or at least um, that acceleration has Created another problem for the organization in that you know without without some automation without some um, you know tools to support your your IAM team you know it's really easy to get behind and not be able to properly service your organization. We certainly saw that you know here at New excuse me new Vance, um as we as we rolled through uh, COVID adoption or COVID um, and and that remote work and, and new technology adoption. Very good, Slayton.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, when we, we would drill down into the uh, homegrown SBN and Academic University Medical Center, we love to turn around and build our own things. And so it it really did, you know, as we as we looked through what we were doing, we we were right in the midst of implementing a brand new IAM solution on top of an external uh, federation piece as well in the midst of preparing for going live with the Epic on the inpatient side. So. And then when COVID hit, I, I would actually say yeah, COVID was the underlying piece, but as Ben talked about working remotely, you know, drove it. We did not have a, a major work from home force. So the university uh, uh, medical side did not have a large work from home. And you know, March 17th of 2020, everybody just was told not to come back. Um, I think where COVID might have caused some of the issues was, is all of a sudden folks were having to try to reset their passwords in an old type of system going back through and managing that remotely and and if they weren't connected directly and so when we talk about the vulnerabilities are there may have uh, been times when you were trying to do the validation through you know called the help desk or wherever. Um, It was trying to really figure out in any on the fly type scenario thousands of users all of a sudden they, they went home and their passwords started expiring how do we manage those new users coming on board, how do we onboard folks appropriately as well. So um, it's, it, it's been a huge challenge for us um, looking at where the where the vulnerabilities were, we're just really going through that risk avoidance piece and picking this piece out. Because I think everybody made some significant exceptions when COVID hit, period. You can't just sit there and say, everybody was perfect and ready to go. We all made exceptions based on those risk exceptions um, or risk uh, potentials. So, um, in regards to uh, the challenges around managing that identity governance, really for us was taking what we had built out in a homegrown system and trying to to transition that into a um, a third-party vendor-provided solution. You know, we've we've got a lot of things that we built out custom that not you're never going to find the perfect fit, and so when you make this major customized product out here and you can try to manage through getting this turned on and saying, you know, it may not do this, but it'll do 80% or, or X of this. So managing through that change management of people, and the change management of the technology side, I think was uh, one of our bigger challenges in the midst of everything else that was going on. Wes?
3: Yeah, so the challenges around managing IDG manual, uh, uh, or homegrown I think with both of them, and both Ben and Slayton touched on this. It's to me, it's all about integration. You know, you can have your maybe your spreadsheet that you use to to bring on people or provision people, but does that spreadsheet then tell you once you got them provisioned what roles did you give them, what access to applications did you give them, and then uh, okay, I got that in the maybe I have that in the spreadsheet, but then okay, well, who authorized the access that you just gave them? Who's that? Well, and that's important because later on, HIPAA says I periodically, n- no further defined than periodically, periodically have to go and uh, reauthorize those people that I just gave authorization to. So when you're trying to do this, particularly when you're trying to do it uh, manually, uh, it, it just there, there's just so many places where the ball could get dropped uh, from a compliance perspective only. Uh, there's so many places the ball can get dropped. It's just extraordinary. And then from a security vulnerabilities perspective, you know, that it's that role-based access. Well, why did you give him that role? Uh, yeah. Cause I just, you know, uh, uh, Wes is an ED doc. I'm not really an ED doc. Wes is an ED doc and uh, Frank came in and Frank's an ED doc. So I just gave him the same thing Wes, uh, Wes had. Uh, well, Wes was also, you know, uh, the GME director and something else. So now we gave Frank all the other capabilities. So you got all those vulnerabilities that you have to worry about when you try and do this manual uh, from a homegrown perspective. Yeah, if you, you know, you just got to be able to think of where all those intersecting pieces are when you're growing that homegrown system. And frankly, most of them didn't because most of the homegrown systems were there for your joiners, movers, levers. You know, we've got, we've got these people coming on. So we need to get them access and, and this person moved over here. We need to change that. So that's mostly what the homegrown systems were about. And, and, and both of those, not just those, but all systems, all identity governance systems. I think one of the bigger uh, vulnerabilities that we face and, and I, and I see this, uh, uh, from a COVID perspective as well. Um, you know, when COVID came, um, a lot of people got shuffled around. So the, the ambulatory nurse that was out in the clinic uh, then had to do a, a, a shift over in the, on the COVID floor so that, you know, the COVID person, the people that were working that could take a break. So we had to give that nurse the same access uh, that the inpatient nurse had. And we got through all that and we gave, we gave them, like Slayton said, we gave them the access they needed to see patients. Perfect, perfect thing to do. Now everybody's back in the normal status quo. And I bet you like 97% of the people out there didn't take back those old privileges. The, the Now that they're not an ambulatory nurse, uh, they still have the privileges for the ambulatory nurse. And so that that's really, we're starting to see a lot of folks uh, really consider um, IDG now. And I think that's one of the major reasons is they go, Okay, we did this for COVID and now we came back and things are just all screwed up and I don't want to be in that position again. So I'm going to get a system in place to help me manage this in case something else like this comes down the road.
0: And these uh, scenarios that Wes was throwing out, how do they, they sound about pretty accurate
2: to you? Yeah. And and quite honestly, I I don't know how an organization that didn't have, you know, some sort of tracking methodology in place would even untie that, you know, you know, it's just it's. It's almost impossible, you know, for as fast as everyone was working, you know, as COVID was hitting and the the, the movement and the changes that were, were being put into place um, were, were happening, that you could effectively, um, with the staff that you had, uh, track all of that without some sort of solution in place. But, yeah, what, what Wes was saying was,
1: was spot on. Slayton, anything you want to add? Um, as Wes talked about, we were, we were launching... Epic on the inpatient, and trying to go through our whole new security roles that were going to be changed mm-hmm. from sooner. Epic that was a, a nightmare in itself. But now all of a sudden, trying to do that in the middle of COVID, and like you said, shifting people back and forth. So, uh, very same scenarios. Um, just trying to manage through that. But um, biggest part that yeah. we've been doing is going back through and doing the validation since we went live and, and confirming where we are.
3: And one of the one of the other ones that one of the other bigger threats uh, to me uh, is something I've. Worried about and tried to uh, 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 ameliorate as much as possible during my career is something I call stack shares. You know, in, in healthcare, <laughs> I don't know if it's like this everywhere, oh, but and in, in healthcare, you got, you know, workers that are 35, 40 years in the organization, and they didn't stay in the same place during that 35 and 40 years. You know, they started out in maybe yeah admission and then revenue cycle and then a clinic ward or something like that and as they as they went along they they gained access uh you know they they gained the shares access for uh accounts receivable and then the shares for clinicians and then the shares for uh something else and the shares for something else. so all of a sudden you've got this this user that is not an admin user no admin credentials at all but they still have access to like 80% of the shares on your network just because they've bounced around the organization and they've never been, uh, n- those shares have never been taken away. It's 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 a stack yeah. shares problem is, is what I call it.
2: Yeah. And then, and then their manager hires ahead. somebody new. It, it, oh, yeah. So th- then their manager hires somebody new and says a, sends an IT request moment. and say, hey, set this new person up like the old person. Yeah. That's how that, that just proliferates across yeah. multiple people.
0: Wes, do you think the, the – I've heard recently that the cyber criminals out there are really attacking people, very, very focused on yeah. <coughs> researching specific individuals mm-hmm. um, and usually by department or, or seniority, but you just made an interesting point. Do you think they're savvy enough to be targeting people who may not be at the executive level but who have been there 35, 40 years for the reasons you identify?
3: Well, you know, thanks for pointing that particular threat out to all the bad guys that that may be listening on the call.
0: (laughs) Sorry. Whoops.
3: No, seriously. That that had never occurred to me. But yeah, I think that's an incredibly valid point. Hey, let's see, you know, who's and we announce this all the time. Who's the 35 year award recipients uh, at the organization? Well, just just target those people and, and. and you're probably an 80, 90 percent chance that they've got access to seventy percent of the resources in the in the hospital, anyhow.
0: Wow, that's a little freaky, huh? That's it is pretty, pretty it's, interesting.
3: And it's it's endemic. I I I haven't run across any place so far that has has a great handle on that, frankly.
0: And you call it you call this stack shares,
3: stack yes. Shares? Stack shares. Yeah, because it's a share, you know, mm-hmm. it's a folder share uh, okay. that, you know, a departmental uh, share where you share, you know, you share folders on the department. So they just keep getting stacks on one, one on top of the other, one on top of the other. And, and really with with uh, some good identity governance systems like our identity governance system, um, you know, when, when you when you assign a role to like a nurse or something like that, we know what shares that and a, let's say an ICU nurse, we know what shares an ICU nurse should have. They've got their personal share and a departmental share and something like that. So uh, we, you can go in through the, the GRC, the Governance Risk and Compliance Module, and say, okay, show me, some, show me all the people who have more shares than what their role says. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's a way you can start working on that stuff.
0: And you could see why it wouldn't have been intuitive in the past to take it away. It's almost like, well, they earned that. So why would they take away something they have earned, a privilege earned? But we know that's just not, not as smart from a security point of view.
3: Well, and then healthcare is kind of unique, too. I mean, they're staying in the same organization. And, and nine times out of 10, they'll apply for this new job in a different uh, department. And then that t- those department managers will talk to each other. And the department, the losing department will say, yeah, you can have them at this date, but I still need them to do this project or this project. <laughs> and so... You know, there's a, there's actually a legitimate reason for mm-hmm. them continuing to have that share for a little while. Mm-hmm. But there's never, you know, there's never a okay. They've fully transitioned. Now take it away from them. There's that, that just uh, you know. And, and healthcare. And I think Ben and, and Slayton, our, our number one priority is to to uh, facilitate the delivery of care. So that's that has been exactly what we've been doing. Throughout this, you know, from the the inception of our career field, and part of that was, you know, that that provisioning and getting them the 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 access to applications and stuff that they needed. Uh, now we've we've done that, we've opened Pandora's box, or we've we've squeezed the toothpaste out, and now we're trying to get it back in there. Um, whereas, and that, you know. Oftentimes, you're better off just throwing away that old tube of toothpaste and starting with a new one, and, and that's the way that you can force these these uh, the role-based access, access controls, the 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 single shares, uh, that kind of thing.
0: Slayton, I see you nodding. Anything you want to add there?
1: No, I like the uh, comparison of the of the toothpaste because we all spend a lot of time trying to put toothpaste back in the tube, but yeah. Um, it is because of that, Um, as we look across the the different places, the nurses float all over the place, staff float all over the place um, and and trying to manage that in an automated system is extremely difficult, which is why it led to so much of us trying to make all of these different exceptions. And so part of that is going back and, and not only doing the validation through having some automated tools which if you don't have the ability that makes it extremely difficult so as wes talked about going back and start here run this report understand what folks have because you have so much change even in the iam um yep. teams right they change so they don't know what's been run at certain times and things like that so a lot of it is just stay on top of that but it is, it's how many folks have gone out and, and brought in epic security Consultants that sit there and walk through all of the security roles that you, you know, when you think you should have around 100 to 75 and you, you, you take your first snapshot at and you got about 475 roles, you're like, how do I have this many roles? And so that's that's part of getting your arms around is understanding what you have and having a tool that to gives you that visibility.
0: Wes, you think uh, you're picturing a new logo for Improvata with the tube of toothpaste? No, no, no I don't. Okay. I don't...
3: You know, I don't think the marketing folks would go for that. All right. You know, well, I can or... work
0: up some sketches if you want. All right. Maybe not. All right. Maybe ben, not. Ben, let's run this one by you. And Wes, we talk about this in the past about uh, how it can be difficult to get moving with a project like this because all the departments that uh, ha- mm-hmm. have to be involved. But, Ben, what are your thoughts on tips for implementing yeah, let's, let's say we've convinced some folks on the line today that they want to get off their Excel spreadsheets. What are some tips for implementing a solution? To part, what departments or executives does IT need to work with?
2: Um, well, HRIS is going to be your best friend and worst enemy. Um, you need to convince them that... Their solution is the system of record, um, and that you need to that they need to provide you that data in a timely fashion, so that you can draw that into your solution to begin to build your your baseline um, your, your baseline account structures. Um, in healthcare, your payer um, and provider data management organizations um, are also going to be incredibly important for you to to pull into the conversation at a baseline. Um, then, you, as you start to work down into your applications, you start to look at what are the most important applications that I need to be drawing data from, pushing data to, and automating account provisioning. So, you know, you look at your EMRs, you look at your uh, external. Uh, your your cloud delivery model uh, you look at you know all of your your major applications and you start to kind of work your way down from there Um, I would say you know when you are you are implementing a solution like this uh, one of the reasons why your your H R I S folks are going to be the most important is because they're going to tell you whether or not they're about to uh, implement a, a brand new H R I S platform that may or may not cause significant delays to your I D G platform because you have to have a solid model around H R I S and and the 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 accounts or sorry the um, the the employee data builds within that system. That was probably our our biggest takeaway, right? We, We had a major delay of the solution due to COVID uh, the IDD, ID, actually both solutions due to COVID. Um, and then, um, you know, the, we were ready to go and, you know, we had, you know, staffing issues within uh, my IAM platform uh, and then a, another delay on the HRIS platform caused all sorts of fun issues. And next thing you know, we're going live about six months past when we originally planned on, which caused all sorts of other fun, fun problems, including, you know, weeks to months worth of delays in getting accounts structured, et cetera. So uh, make sure that you're in tight alignment with your HRIS group. Uh, Make sure that as you are, you um, you know, understanding how you're building out your idg platform you know what where where is your source of truth for all the data that you need to be pulling in um and then you know as you kind of go down and you start to build that role-based access out that's when you need to start to look at okay um you know who are my you know at least the way we're looking at it who are my highest turnover uh, uh, parts of my organization for us nursing is one of our, our larger turnover uh, areas for better or for worse um, so we're working with all of our our nurse leaders across all of our different hospitals to say okay when you know nurse comes in at you know danbury hospital on the sixth floor what do they need right now obviously we've already run reports to say you know 90 percent of nurses that work on this floor get this type of access 80 percent get this access 70 percent get this access um and then from there we start to work down to say okay what is you know of these you know uh, of these folks that you know five percent have access to this do they really need that right and you start to work through it that way um and if you you know take it in in chunks you're never going to you, you don't want to try to do this all at once um phase approach this thing, because if not, you, number one, the, trying to do it all in one year, uh, you, you'll walk into your CFO, CEO, CIO, whatever, wherever you uh, report to your, your your next level ups office and say, I need $5 million to do this in one year. They're going to laugh you out of the office. Now, if you take that in chunks over two to three, four years, um, working down the chain of, of risk and complexity, you know, you're know you going to be much more, uh, much more successful in number one one getting buy-in from the organization because you're not going to bury them. Um, and number two, from a a cost perspective, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit more palatable. I will say, you know, you need to, you need to understand that this is more complex and uh, probably end up being more costly than you first expect it to be. Um, so, you know, expect that. Um, but I, I will also say, you know, uh, probably four or five years ago, um, I had a, a conversation with a very, uh, to me, very well-respected CIO, um, and you know his take on it was that he would never implement a solution like this because I could hire twenty people for ten years for the amount it would cost me to to implement a solution like this. And uh, with with the way we have been able to implement uh, our solution here at NuVance, I, I I holistically disagree with that that that. Uh, viewpoint today. Maybe back then, uh, but I think you know the solutions to, at this point have gotten to a, a place where um, if you bring in uh, the, the right integrator, if you, you select the right partner for your organization um, and you, you get the organization behind you and, and, and drive the vision into the organization, um, you can implement a solution like this um, and find ROI in, in probably less than three years.
1: Very good, Slayton. To
3: say oh, go ahead. Go ahead,
1: Wes, if you had something.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, it was just uh, just to, to hammer home Ben's point. Uh, a lot of people think that uh, identity governance is a project. It is not a project. It is a program that is continuous. You're not going to be done with your identity governance product, project.
0: Well, all right, Slayton, you want to go ahead?
1: The same page with this one piece of it. Ben, you left off the float pool nurses that you try to figure out. So I, I was I was taking off the easy ones first. They, they go at the end. <laughs> so um, when we look across, when we talk about departments or executive. Remember, this is a change management piece. Technology, you can make a lot of technologies work. It really is the operational alignment. Um, that you want to make sure you have as you go through this process because we're not going to feel as much pain as, as the nurses and, and docs and techs and folks across the hospital trying to get access to the various pieces that they need to have access to. So that buy-in starts with the senior leadership making sure they don't think this is just an IT system versus a program that's being shoved down them to, to just to do a compliance thing. It really is to make sure you have the alignment of the operations so we go all the way back to the caregivers have access to the information they need to take care of patients. And, and that's what we jump through hoops to make sure that happens. So when we talk about the nursing side, you typically oversee all the nursing and, and the tech services that go along with, which is, you know, a large majority of your users in the clinical side, obviously, is making sure you've got that right alignment with them right up front and, and sharing with them you know what this really means. And so as we were going through this process and, and, and Ben, you're right on it like how many how many folks were in the IM team and what, what was the benefit analysis at the end, what it was going to look like and, and, you know, we can go spend five million on this tool, but take it in chunks and then figure out that my team goes from 20 down to nine or something like that, right? Um, so it, it's working through that. And then the last piece I'll highlight is when you talk about the HRIS, it's not only getting access to that. It's, is the information in that HRIS really reliable? We, call it, we have to have a gold standard somewhere, but how much gets manipulated in various other systems so you finally get it to where it gives you what's relevant that you can align that to the person's um, user security settings. And that's what we found the biggest piece is work, working with HR was the the descriptions were so generic that it was difficult to turn around and say that this nurse worked in this area that it should have this role. It was rolled up at such a high level that it made it very difficult. So it was going back to our HR teams and saying, we really need to be a lot more descriptive in the various additional fields within our HRIS, so we could get to a more viable descriptive security role for our folks. And that's what we're doing right now, and you said it. so bored we were implementing epic at the same time we're also implementing our new hris system at the same time so in in the midst of COVID. so but that was that's That's our biggest challenge has been figuring out how we get the right information or do we have the right information or hris to get the roles drilled down at the level we need to so so did that actually help
2: your your idg delivery Uh program delivery, you know, that you were going through the Epic build at that time so that you could kind of kind of align that? Because that's, that's always been one of my problems. I've already—I've always had,
1: it, it you know. Forced it. Yeah, it, it, forced, it forced the discussion. We already got the approval to do the new IAM solution, but it forced the discussion about taking it from a system to a program because we had to get it right as we went live to make sure people had the right access within Epic. Got it.
0: All right, very good. Uh, Slayton, we're going to stick with you. Uh, How does having an identity governance system help with compliance issues in terms of always being
1: audit ready? I think we talked about the spreadsheets. Um, You know, where you have it's really having that visibility, as I started to touch on before, Um, being able to look at which types of reports you want to generate and then doing the validation. You know, I've lived the life of turning around and sending Excel spreadsheets to various teams throughout an organization and have them do the validations to come back with, well, those people don't even work here anymore, right? Um, so it's really having that visibility. In fact, the nice part is, to a certain extent, it's, it's built all the way up into a dashboard. You don't have to worry about compliance coming to you anymore. You can actually have the visibility. Compliance can have a visibility um throughout the time versus a snapshot in time as well Mm -hmm. and so that i think helps as we go through this and and lift up the cover see what's across the board and engaging with compliance so that it is not a one-off type scenario it really is a partnership with them knowing we are going to do a forced audits but also for them to do random audits is the other side of this for them to go back because when you have those Audits that they want to go do, they now have the tool set to go look at it and really is sort of the open the kimono up and say, This is what we've got, this is what we do, and, and this is what we're working towards.
2: Uh, ben? Yeah. I, I honestly don't have a whole ton to, to, to add to that. I mean, the idea of, you know, I, I think the way, the, the one caveat to all this is that you need to think about the reports and what you need to, uh, what, what you need to be able to provide to your compliance organization up front So that as you're building your platform that you can, you know, make sure you have the data available and, you know, easily build reports out so that in the end it's, you know, you know, press the button and, and shoot the report out to your compliance organization. Um, you know, it's it having a solution like this and not having to have people runs, you know, into six different solutions and pull out data and cross-reference data and and do all this sort of stuff to, you know, you know provide a quarterly report to whoever they need to provide it to um, does, d- does make life significantly easier.
0: Wes, anything you want to add there?
3: Yeah. I like the way Ben phrased that, you know, we're all three uh, had spent some time in the Pacific Northwest. That's a big lean, uh, lean uh, country up there. And and what came to mind and I've actually done a presentation on this, Ben, when you were talking was, you know, begin with the end in mind. And that is, that is what, what, what do I need to show proof of compliance and what, what do I need to to get, to get done what I need need to get done. And then you work your way back and make sure that you've got all that data. And, And, and frankly, in, in in identity right now, there's there's really three main areas. Slayton mentioned one: the periodic access reviews. That's HIPAA that's going to be looking at that to make sure that you conducted those periodic access reviews. Your um, EPCS now, you know, DEA hasn't hasn't uh, started enforcing that yet, uh, but they will, and so you need to be able to report out uh, on EPCS, and, and then. <laughs> Something I've been caught caught on, uh, you know. Raise my hand. I've been I've had to explain to the board why uh, Joe Bagadonuts, who left six months ago, still has access to the Lawson system. You know, the, that's that. Those are those are really the three places where uh, an audit will really catch you out. Um, and I, I'm liking the tendency that that uh, I, I am is moving under uh, security more and more often um, because. Uh, you know as you guys have heard me say before you know identity is the new control plane and that's that's where where you can you can control the risk uh, And so that's another begin with the end in mind I want to control the risk and uh, so this is what I need in my identity uh, governance system
2: yeah and if you set up that identity governance system well, Joey Baggy is going to lose his access when he leaves the organization because it gets plugged into HRS because no one wants to pay Joey once he's right. not working in the, in the organization anymore. So now, right. now you're, you're auto you know, killing that account.
3: Yeah. And that's uh, going back to the original question uh, that we started the conversation with. Uh, you know, where's the vulnerabilities in a, in a homegrown or manual system? There's a great big one right there. Is that, you know, that you're relying on people to know that people left the organization in a manual system. And, you know, yeah, sure. You know, 98 times out of 100, they're they're correct. But there's two times that they're not. Whereas when you automate it, it it's going to be 100% of the time.
0: All right. I think this is an important question. Ben, I want to I run it by you. How can uh, CIOs, CTOs, CISOs convince the rest of the C-suite and or the board To invest in an automated solution, you mentioned the idea of don't come in and ask for five million, right? You got to think it out, plan it out better than that. Um, So what is, if you believe in this, you're looking at the risk to the organization. You believe this is a necessary expense. What's the best way to communicate that that to the people who are going to have to sign the check, so to speak?
2: Um, thank you for the, another easy question to, to answer. Uh, very, very nice to meet you. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to, to answer it this way, but there's a there, there's a very large it depends that that's part of this uh, this answer, because every organization is going to be a little bit different based on, you know, the, their risk acceptance model, um, the amount of money that they have, whether it be op or cap um, and, you know, whether or not you're Senior leadership is interested in in hearing about IT holistically. Um, I I think there's a couple of different ways you can go about it. You can obviously go about it um, from a a risk risk reduction um, direction, talking about you know the, the automation and. The reduction in audit findings, the reduction in um, you know actual access, uh, inappropriate access, uh, the reduction in you um, know uh, um, you know inappropriate privilege escalation, a lot of that sort of stuff, right? Um, you could talk about it from a, a cost model perspective, and, and I would say, you know, I, I threw that five million dollar number out there. Uh, for an organization our size, it's not five million dollars, right? Uh, but you know, if if you think it's going to be a three to five year project lay that out for your your organization talk about you know at year over year these are the costs that that it's going to uh, it's going to take us to get to this you know this better place whatever you however you want to define what that 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 benefit is going to be for your organization um and then talk about you know the the how you are going to move through and how you're going to engage with your organization, how you're going to manage change management, um, and give your, give your executive team the, the understanding that you've thought this through and how it's going to benefit your organization. There are places here where th- there is some level of ROI. Um, you know, like every security project, the, oftentimes uh, some of that ROI ends up being, you know, that ethereal risk reduction stuff. Um, and your CFO will look at you like you've got six heads if you really try to, to, to tie that to, you know, direct monetary savings. Um, but, you know, you have the opportunity to say, you know what, right now I have 15 people or whatever it is working to set up accounts. Well, if I can automate two thirds of this, I can reduce my headcount here by, by three or reduction in headcount probably is not the best way to look at it. I can use those folks to do other things more effectively yep. for the organization, right? That's probably the better way of looking at it. Yep. Um, so you know you can you can start to look at that across the board there might be other technologies that you might be able to get rid of you know if you you, you go you know a, kind of an enterprise solution route with you know a, a company that may or may not be you know here and supporting this order uh, this this discussion today you know you can start to look at you know reduction in costs just because of, of scope and scale of your your contract with, with a vendor like that going in an enterprise route so th- there's there's a bunch of different ways ways you can take it. But you as a as a leader have to really understand how your organization looks at these sorts of decisions. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, I hate to say it, using a, an, a, either an event that's happening to you, happening to a peer of yours, or happening nationally to point to to say, hey, we've got a crisis over here. This could happen to us. This is why we need to do these sorts of things.
1: Very good. Slayton? I was going to say, uh, convincing the sweet suite right now with everything that's been going on is, is you know, it's got their attention. I mean, I, I can't imagine any one of us not having these conversations weekly or even daily nowadays in regards to what's been compromised and, and going back to it's the users, right, where a lot of these attacks are compromised based on something that a user did or didn't do. Um, the other side of that is uh, um, when you're re- renewing your cybersecurity insurance, you may have some ROI that you can, you know, say if I don't have this, yeah. then my cybersecurity cost, insurance costs. So you, you yeah. now have something to tie that back to if you're not self-insured, depending on how you how you manage that. But um, I, I would say right now the the attention towards the security portfolio, not just any one thing, but the portfolio itself. In healthcare, with the target that we have on on us, um, couldn't be higher. And, and as we go through these things, it's really prioritizing this based on some of the other risks and bringing that back up to your security program and identifying it. But I, I think we've got their attention, um, and you know, at the board level as well, asking us of what do we need to spend. Um, maybe this is an out-of-cycle out of spend CAPEX or OPEX because of the things that are going on. And so I'm, we're starting to see that as well. now I'm here just talking to some other friends of mine of, hey, if we need to do this, um, there's a lot going on right now that, that has the board and, and executive level tensions. And, and if we've got gaps, they're, they're willing to listen now.
3: Wes? Yeah. Um, I'll quote... Uh, Jake Aisley, a a CISA analyst that was at the NIST conference that they held a couple months ago uh, regarding the solar winds attack. Um, And he said something, I'm probably paraphrasing. He said something like, uh, in regards to the solar winds attack, come to find out identity is everything. Mm. And that's, I mean, you can't, you can't get any more explicit than that. And, and, and it's like Slayton was saying, the board, the board is paying attention to to you know solar winds was a huge one that they all paid attention to. And you can take that quote and walk into your board, look, solar winds, remember that? Well, what was it about? How did that how did that get so bad? It's identity. So we have to manage our identities way better than what we are. I mean, it's just it's kind of when you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous that that IT and health IT to to a largest degree find ourselves in the position we're at. We would never design a system to work like this. We, we would never give access to, to a whole bunch of people and then go, hell, we got to figure out what we gave access to and why we gave them access. No, we would design this from from the jump. We would decide, hey, a nurse gets this access. Uh, a doctor gets this access. And, and, and before anybody got any access, we would have that process in place, you know, but that's again going back to the our number one our number one dealio is, is to make sure that that clinician can see the can can service their uh, customer the patient and, and and so we we didn't do uh, we didn't do the first thing first and instead did the second thing first.
0: And now we got to go back.
3: <laughs> yep. And now we got to go back.
0: Yeah. All right. Um. Ask a co-panelist, my favorite section. Uh, Wes, why don't you go first? Do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, I've been thinking about this, you know, just briefly. And, um, uh, you know, Ben uh, was over in the Pacific Northwest, so he was a he was a West Coastie, a Tupac guy there for a little bit. And now <laughs> he's on the East Coast, and, you know, he's a biggie man. So, oh, my, you God. Know, oh my what, God.
0: what, wow. what you went no there, okay? Yeah, I didn't <laughs> see right. that coming. I did not see that coming.
3: So, you know, you know, is is there a difference uh, that that you see, Ben, between the 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 um, the the attitude, the the consciousness, uh, the of of the board and the C suite from a security perspective, East Coast versus West Coast?
2: Um. I mean, I think just due to the increased um, news coverage and and increased attacks and directed attacks against healthcare, I think I I see a bit more here. Um, You know, I was lucky on the West Coast to have um, someone on my board that was, you know, she owned a uh, uh, information security services company. So, you know, I had, I had someone there that, that got it and I could work with and she could, you know, do translation if, if we needed to do that sort of thing for, for the board. Here, it, here's a little different in that, you know, my board of directors is filled with, you know, Fortune 100 um, execs. So, you know, it just being in the, the region that I'm in, we have a lot of that sort of representation on our board. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're a, a little bit more savvy around information security and technology. Uh, we actually have a, a, a technology subcommittee um, mm. uh, of the board. So, you know, I have, I have direct reporting responsibility there. I have direct reporting, reporting responsibility to the audit committee as well. Um, but, you know, the, they're, they're very tuned in. Um, they, they very much get where we're going, but they also understand risk, and and I think you know that's to me is just as important as having a, a board that is that is tuned in to to security holistically is. You know, understanding that we are not going to get to zero. There's no way that we are going to be able to protect against everything. It's about how do we react and how do we respond um, to to reduce the the risk of it getting is, is you know it, it getting really bad, turning into something you know really really bad. Wow, I I my brain just turned off, so I apologize. Yeah, for that.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Well, it sounds <laughs> like a, It sounds like you're more on the biggie side, man.
0: Yeah,
2: something
0: like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. all right listen we only have a few minutes left i want to uh, give everyone a chance for a final thought uh last word piece of advice for your colleagues uh who are listening and are going to hear this um what's your final piece of advice uh ben why don't you go first
2: don't be afraid. Um, you know this is this is something that can be done. Uh, do it in bite-sized chunks. Start. You know even before you get into identity governance and start to th- talk about you know working with with an Improvata or another solution that's out there. You know look at you know take a look at your executive suite. Take a look at your 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 admins and make sure that you're not mixing access controls for those folks. Right. Take you know, take those that that lower level, um, uh, uh, th- those lower level tasks, and make sure that. You know, you have the the right people doing the right things and having the right access. Um, And then from there, you know, start to continue to mature your program one step at a time. Um, I I think the other thing to to really look look at is, you know, it is a a program, as Wes said earlier. um, But, you know, to have a program, you need a program manager. You need people dedicated to this. Uh, You need to put, you know, time and resources to it, um, as well as the funds to get the solution in place.
1: Slayton, I'm going to steal a little bit of what Wes said, but also uh, kind of you know, top on top of that is the start with the end in mind, right? Uh, Wes and I came up to very very similar background. Um, if you look at our, I, I got hammered on LinkedIn, so I'm f- thinking a few people went out and looked at our LinkedIn profile, uh, but the you know, understanding where you want to get to, and as as Ben talked about, take it in chunks, you know, that start with the end in mind really makes you start thinking about where you really want to be and what can you tackle as you go through this, because it is going to be a journey. If you're just starting down this path, um, it is not going to be something that you can do in in three or or six months, but you can do portions of that. Um, And then the second piece is, Make sure and I said this before, but highlighting again. Make sure you have that operational alignment. Um, there are so many times, you know, I've seen in the past that where the IT department's running down the flag with the big IT flag, and you know, put it in the middle middle of the command. You know, the the um, Executive suite floors. That you, we're gonna go forth and do this, and, and you just set yourself up for failure. You've got to make sure you got those operational alignments and the buy-in from the C suites, and, and where they are because they're that's where they're gonna go when something doesn't go right. And there's gonna be parts of it that you thought you had covered, and something's gonna happen, and making sure they truly understand what that is because the, the nurses and docs and techs are all gonna run back up to the C-suite, and then they're going to call up the CIO and say, hey, what's going on here? So make sure you get the right operational alignment. Make sure you start with the end in mind. Very good. Wes?
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, Ben and Slayton, uh, you know, probably talk, took the top four things, I would say. But maybe number five would be uh, just get started. Uh, you know, it's the problem's not going to go away. Uh, you've you've lifted up that rock and there's some dirty critters and uh, ugly critters under that rock. They're not going to go away. You need to do something about it. So just get started. Um, I guess, you know, uh, we were talking earlier before, you know, 1980s in the 1980s, the Reagan era, it was uh, just say no. And and now it's uh, just get started.
0: Wow. Wow. I I can't think of a better ending than that uh drop the mic that was a drop the mic moment was very good um uh, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education you can use the final slide in this deck you'll get an email when the on-demand version of this event is ready for viewing if you want to sponsor an event with us you can reach out to nancy wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars with that i want to thank our tremendous panel Slayton austria ben smith our friend, Wes Wright. I wanna thank Improvada for uh, working with us again and making this event possible. And I wanna thank you, our attendees. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks Anthony.